Good morning and welcome to Locked on Ducks, your one-stop shop for all info, analysis, and updates on your Oregon Ducks. It's a little foggy and 30 degrees outside in the Emerald City. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and you can find me on Twitter at the Dustoff Guy. As you probably noticed, it's Wednesday already, and there was no episode yesterday. I had a lot coming out of the weekend and needed a day or so to get caught up, but even so, today we're going to be talking about Monday night's game against number 4 Stanford, where Sobrina Ionescu made history. Then we're going to be spending the rest of the show continuing our mock draft review. Remember, I used the Draft Network's mock draft machine 100 times over to see where, when, and by whom the, uh, the Ducks prospects would be drafted. It is that time of the year where we're going to be spending a lot of time on the draft, as this is Combine Week coming up, and we're going to be updating our prospects as we go. Ducks football first spring training session begins on March 5th, so we'll be talking about the new players who join the team when that comes along. Following that, we got two weeks of Pac-12 tournament with women's basketball the first weekend and men's basketball the second weekend. Don't forget to click on the subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, and follow the show on Twitter, at LockedOnDucks. You can always send questions and comments using the hashtag AskLodPod, that's hashtag AskLodPod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give a 5 out of 5 star review. And if you don't think I get 5 stars, then leave 5 out of 5 anyway. But tell me why in a review and we'll get it fixed for you. Sabrina Ionescu is the only Division I college basketball player with over 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. It's possible we may never see that record broken again. She's such a dynamic player. It just doesn't happen where a 5'11 guard has that kind of reach, length, and athleticism to be rebounding monster and a playmaker like that. She's a once-in-a-generation talent. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that if we see anything close to this kind of performance again, it's really going to be Sabrina who's responsible for redefining the position. She also clocked her 26th career triple-double, which is more than twice the next most, which is held by men's basketball's BYU point forward Kyle Collinsworth, who has 12 triple-doubles. Just for reference, Shaq holds the third spot with six triple-doubles when he was back at LSU. UNESCO had a difficult day leading up to the record-breaking game. She spoke at Kobe and Gigi's memorial service a few hours before tip-off and had to sit out pre-game shoot-around due to a reported illness. But she turned it on in game time, leading the Ducks to a 74-66 win over number 4 Stanford. Let's listen to Sabrina right after the game talk about the importance of her record. And this is thanks to ESPN, so uh, here goes. I mean, that one was for him. Uh, to do it on 2-24-20 is huge. We talked about it in the preseason. Um, I can't really put that into words. And he, he's looking down and really proud of me and uh, just, just really happy for, for this moment with my team. The Ducks started slow, trailing 8-7 to with five minutes left in the first quarter. But Oregon's defense stepped up and allowed the Ducks to go on an 11-0 run, holding the Cardinal to 12 straight misses finishing the quarter 18-8. After a Stanford basket early in the second quarter, Satu Sabli had an amazing night, scoring three to kick off an 11-0 run by the Ducks, 
And Taylor Chavez saw some action, making the last basket of the run with four and a half minutes left in the second quarter to give the Ducks their biggest lead of the night at 31-12. to Stanford rallied before the end of the first half, bringing the game back to within 10, 32-22. UNESCO made the first basket coming out of the halftime break, but then Stanford rallied. I got the impression they talked a lot about defense during the break. They were playing keep-away ball and making their shots count. They went on a 7-0 run, closing the gap to 34-29. I was getting a little nervous at this point, knowing the kind of scrappy second-half heroics we've come to expect from Stanford. But Aaron Bully scored, and then two more threes by Sobley brought the score back to 42-32. That was followed by Ionescu getting an and one, and Chavez with a timely three-pointer to finish the third quarter. The Ducks up 56-38. The Cardinal kept themselves in it, keeping it within range in the fourth quarter, but... Never getting closer than eight points down. Stanford's Lexi Hull was a three-point monster in the second half, tying Sobley's game-high 27 points, at which point 67-58 was all the closer they could get as three straight shots by UNESCO secured the Ducks a win. The Ducks now have three straight years as Pac-12 champs and did it in historic fashion. Next up, the Ducks have the final two games at home, hosting Washington State on Friday at 8 and Washington Sunday at noon. The Women's Basketball Pac-12 Tournament goes from Thursday, March 5th through Sunday, March 8th, so be sure to stay tuned for more updates. And Peyton Pritchard continues to make his case for the Player of the Year. He is currently on the list for the Wooden Award, the Smith Trophy, the Oscar Robinson Trophy, and the Bob Cousy Point Guard of the Year Award. There are only two players nationally averaging 20 points, four rebounds, and five assists per game, and Pritchard is one of them. And for the second time this season, he was named Pac-12 Player of the Week. The honors come after a career-high 38 points in the Ducks' 73-72 OT win against now no-longer-ranked Arizona on Saturday. In the game, he had six threes and six rebounds and four assists. In addition, Peyton is one of two players in the nation who leads his conference in scoring and assists. If he manages to hold on to those leads, he would be... He would stand among Gary Payton, Damon Stoudemire, and Jason Terry as the only players in Pac-12 conference history to do that. He is the only player in Pac-12 history to have 1,800 career points, 600 assists, and 500 rebounds. And he's Oregon's school leader in assists with 642 overall wins and games started. He is on pace to lead the school in steals all-time and games played, as well as becoming just the second 2,000-point scorer in the history of University of Oregon program. If Peyton Pritchard can keep it up, he's definitely in the conversation for that Wooden Award. And with all the heroics of Sabrina Ionescu and the well-deserved, well-deserved accolades that she's been getting, we can't lose sight of the fact that not only does the women's basketball team have a lot of great up-and-coming players and some extremely talented players going into the WNBA draft, we also have Peyton Pritchard among the best basketball players in the nation right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking draft prospects. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
Welcome back to Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and we were talking about Sabrina Ionescu's historic performance at Stanford last night. Now I want to continue going over the pre-combine draft prospects coming out of Oregon. Over at the Draft Network, they have a mock draft machine that tabulates draft prospects, balancing team need, prospective rankings, and a whole group of analysts' input. I ran the machine 100 times and recorded which ducks were drafted at what ranking and by which teams. There have been seven Ducks invited to the NFL Combine, Justin Herbert, Troy Dye, Shane Lemieux, Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hansen, Jacob Breland, and Juwan Johnson. Yesterday we talked about Troy Dye being drafted by the Broncos or the Raiders, midway through the third round. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it then, uh, particularly if you're a fan of both the Ducks and the Raiders and or Broncos, I recommend go back and listen to it. Today we're going to get to the rest of the group. We're saving Justin Herbert for last, and so next up, I'm going to talk about offensive lineman Shane Lemieux. There were a lot of teams interested in Shane. Half the NFL teams were mock destinations for him, with 18% of the drafts having Shane going to the Rams, the Saints, and Vikings were close seconds. In some instances, the Lions took him at number 99, and other times they took him at 131. Based on the data, I can confidently say that Shane Lemieux will be drafted by the fourth round of this year's NFL draft. The fact that Oklahoma's Creed Humphrey and Tennessee's Trey Smith not declaring for the draft have a lot to do with why prospects like Lemieux are moving up in the prospective rankings. Last season, PFF graded him out as the number three tackle in the nation and first in the Pac-12. PFF has him going late in the draft while Walter Football thinks he's going on day two. Well, the system isn't perfect and that's why we're doing this. I was curious to see who'd be drafted and when. So, knowing that Shane will be playing in the NFL next year is an excellent start point. But where's the potential landing spot? The Saints moved quickly to replace Max Unger when he retired and landed a really solid starting center with the 48th overall pick last year, Eric McCoy. Right guard Larry Werford was great throughout the season, but got exposed during the Saints' loss to the Vikings in the playoffs. Andrus Pete, who is a free agent this year, was drafted by the Saints at number 13 overall in 2015. The Saints will probably be looking for uh, cheaper options on the interior line and have proven that they aren't afraid to spend draft capital in this area at all. All that talk about drafting Jordan Love should be ignored. With only five picks, the Saints will have to choose wisely. Shane could be a day one starter, having played in every game in the last four years. His dependability make him an attractive option for the Saints, who have had some injury concerns along the line. Lemieux is six foot four, three hundred and sixteen pounds, and incredibly powerful and pretty quick for his size. His hard hitting style gets defenders off balance, and I especially love the way he doesn't slow up or stop after he's done with his first defender. His smarts and quickness have led to a really effective pass protection, which is something that the forty one year old Drew Brees and the Saints will be on the lookout for. He's savvy with recognizing and dealing with different moves, and his speed in open space and general lack of athleticism make him a poor choice for pulling around the edge. The Saints could use Shane as a quality day one starter, or even working behind veterans like Pete and Easton if they have the bandwidth to develop him. With the 120th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the New Orleans Saints pick Shane Lemieux, offensive line from University of Oregon. The next pick was a little more difficult for me. These two ducks were projected going anywhere between picks 157 and 204, and that's quite a spread. Fortunately, both of these gentlemen were drafted almost every time. 
Jake Hansen went in the sixth and seventh rounds, and Calvin Throckmorton was undrafted two and a half percent of the time, but otherwise went in the seventh round. Of the 100 mock drafts, Hansen was taken 75% of the time before the remaining prospects, not named Justin Herbert, who went first. So I'll be talking about six foot five, 295 pound center Jake Hansen to start out with. Of all the teams mocked to get Jake this year, there wasn't any particular one that stood out in the mock draft model. More than 20 teams took Hansen in the 6th and 7th rounds about the same number of times. I had to do a bit more digging to see which one of those teams was more desperate for center help and why. I think that the Jets are in desperate need of interior offensive help. They have the draft capital to do something about it. Jake Hansen's pass protection is outstanding, and I think his play as a center at Oregon is a testament to Justin Herbert's ability to develop quickly and a top talent. QB prospect that he is now. Jake has started in almost every game during his time at Oregon and has a huge amount of both experience and dependability. We've harped on this a lot this offseason, but as I've said before, this year's draft class has been stunted by working under three different coaching staffs. Hansen has evolved into an athletic and very smart player. He has had really reliable snaps, which can actually be more of a liability than you'd think at this level. That athleticism and quickness have allowed him to mirror defenses well, but also get his hands up and his feet set ahead of the game. He's also known for handling blitzes well and has the smarts and quickness to handle various stunts and twists. He hasn't allowed a sack in three years. He does have some drawbacks though, as he struggles with his size and strength to capitalize well beyond the snap, and he does struggle in downhill blocking. With the evolution of the center position, though, it seems like athletic centers are being rated more highly over those who have size and strength but lack the quickness and agility that a six foot five, two hundred ninety five pound guy like Hansen can give you. I think it's fair to look at Jason Kelsey, who's six foot three and two hundred ninety five pounds, in order to compare the potential upside of athletic, smart but somewhat undersized centers. If that's the ceiling for Hansen, then any team would be happy to have him. The Jets need a new center and have the opportunity to address this issue in free agency or through the draft. Frankly, they should do both. The history of the center position over the last few years has been called a nightmare by a lot of people. Nick Mangold, who was drafted 29th overall by the Jets in 2016, seven-time Pro Bowler, retired in 2016. When Mangold was placed on IR in that year, the Jets replaced him with backup Wesley Johnson, who... PFF ranked as the worst center through his seven starts that year. Now, Johnson has been bouncing around practice squads, most recently last year in San Francisco. With Johnson as more liability than asset, the Jets signed Jonathan Harrison, who played in all 16 games of the 2018 season. In 2018, the Jets signed Spencer Long, another one who couldn't last a year, with numerous problems snapping the ball after an early injury to his hand. Last year, the Jets tried out Ryan Khalil, the longtime, five-time Pro Bowl Panthers center, who came out of retirement to play for the Jets, but went on IR later that season. These issues just capture how hard it is in this league to find a high-quality center. It's why finding one in free agency is important, but difficult to do. Teams historically have trouble developing offensive line talent, and so they hang on to any dominant draft prospects they get. Based on where guys like Khalil and Mangold were drafted versus Johnson and Harrison, that does show that it can be really a crapshoot. And unless New York is willing to take a 
Tyler Badish in the first or second round, which would be an unwarranted gamble for them given their needs at the skill positions, they would do well to use one of their day three or even late day two picks on Hanson. With the picks that New York has, they don't need to wait until the fifth or sixth rounds like most other teams with this need do. Sam Darnold needs a reliable center who's going to keep him from seeing those ghosts. And I think the Jets are set on Darnold. And they could let those two develop together as a solid communications unit. The building blocks of a good offense are on the offensive line. And if the Jets draft Hansen and bring in a Connor McGovern or even a Steven Wisniewski, they could have a solid veteran presence to ease Jake in. And then next year, that vet could slide over to guard. With the 79th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Jake Hansen, interior offensive line from the University of Oregon. We'll be right back. Got to take a quick break. I'll be back in a moment to discuss a couple of the remaining draft prospects on my list. Welcome back to Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and we're talking duck draft prospects. Yesterday, we had Troy Dye going to the Broncos or the Raiders with picks 80 or 83. So far today, we've seen Shea Lemieux get drafted to the Saints at 120. And a surprise early move by the New York Jets, taking Jake Hansen at 79. Next up, we're going to address Calvin Throckmorton, the offensive tackle and Ducks tight end Jacob Breland. Calvin Throckmorton is a big 6'5", 318-pound offensive tackle. He was the only FBS lineman in 2018 to start at four different positions. He's played right tackle, center, right guard, left tackle. And in our 100 mock drafts, a handful of scenarios had Calvin going undrafted actually 10% of the time. But I think his size, versatility, experience, and consistency are going to make him either a quality backup or a potential good starter down the road for any team looking to improve the position. When it comes to the mock draft machine, Throckmorton was drafted 17.5% of the time by Buffalo, 15% of the time by the Vikings, and at 10%, the Colts and Rams were just as likely to draft him as him going undrafted. I have no doubt, though, that he's actually going to be drafted by a team, perhaps as early as the third round. Along with Shane and Jake, he, he can be partially blamed for Justin's success, and, and I mean that in a good way. We're talking about some good offensive line veterans who are among the best offensive line in the nation that helped make Justin Herbert the quarterback that he is today. I'm interested to see how he comes out in the weeks ahead in the Combine. But in the Senior Bowl, Calvin weighed 310 pounds while he was listed at 307 at Oregon, He's coming as high as 318 on some draft boards. His size is impressive no matter what, though. He uses a mixture of strength and aggression to get to the second level quickly, making blocks along the way. He lacks natural athleticism, but makes up for that with tenacity. After watching the tape, it's clear he won't ever give up until the whistle is blown, and that level of competitiveness will make up for a depleted athletic toolkit at least until he gets some experience and proper guidance in the right situation. He's played 38 consecutive starts, and that is another trait teams will be looking for as multiple franchises are lacking consistency along the line. I think with George Fant and Jermaine Effetti going into free agency, the Seahawks would be an interesting choice here, looking for someone who can be a backup in several positions. 
Russ Wilson has had to throw under more pressure than any other quarterback in the NFL since 2012. He's been under pressure on over 40% of his dropbacks, which is way more than anyone else over that period of time. The Seahawks have really failed to be consistently good at this position, and with Wilson getting into the later years of his career, they would do well to start protecting him. I'd like to talk about another West Coast team, though. The 49ers just came off a loss in the Super Bowl. At that level, there's not a lot available in this draft to improve upon. But I think that if San Francisco wants to continue to compete for championships, they're going to have to get in some new talent. The 49ers are pretty limited on picks with the 31st pick and then not having any picks until the fifth round. They're going to have to choose wisely. That first pick has to be spent on replacing Eric Armistead, Emmanuel Sanders, or Jimmy Ward, who I don't think they're going to be able to afford to keep all three of them if they want to give George Kittle and DeForest Buckner long-term deals. One option for them would be to trade back their first-round pick and see if they can get a few more mid-rounders. Yeah, I think Seattle did this last year with, they got like six picks now. I don't know if you know San Francisco is going to be so fortunate, but in any case... The Patriots have long been a leading example in drafting smart, and one thing they do is draft for a year two and not for the rookie year. San Francisco could learn a lot from this as their offensive line, and, and while they could be seen as solid along the O-line, there's some chinks in that armor that, I, that you know need to be addressed. Six-time Pro Bowler Joe Staley will be 36 when the season starts. He was signed through the 2021 season, which will probably be his last contract, unless the 49ers want to find themselves... You know, kind of like the Eagles do with Jason Peters. Then they'll have to bring up either an heir apparent or a solid backup who may shine brighter after a year or two under uh, Staley's tutelage. Some mocks have the 49ers taking Josh Jones with their first pick to address this issue immediately. But they would be far better off getting in on the deep pool of wide receivers in the draft to come in behind Emmanuel Sanders. With that being the case, they should really take Throckmorton in one of the later rounds. This would allow them to spend their limited capital on more urgent needs while ensuring they have a rotational backup set for their soon-to-be-depleted offensive line. With the 194th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Calvin Throckmorton, offensive tackle from the University of Oregon. I think we have time for about one more, so we're going to be leaving two of our Oregon prospects for tomorrow. Right now, though, we're going to see where tight end Jacob Breland might go in the draft this year. Before getting injured in October, Breland was widely considered to be among the best tight ends in the draft. Before the left leg injury, Jacob was the leading target for Justin Herbert with 26 catches for 405 yards and 6 scores. Among tight end prospects this year, Breland's output after only six games was actually third in touchdowns, ninth in total yards, but he was second in yards per catch among starting tight ends. He's efficient, effective, big, strong, great at the high point, and any team that wants to take a chance on him would be well off if they did so. Jacob was the second most undrafted Oregon prospect on my 100 mock drafts list. When he was drafted, it was in the 6th and 7th rounds. I think his upside is a lot higher than that, so we're going to talk about teams taking him early. This is, after all, a pre-combine uh, show, and my homerism is kind of set to maximum right now. As far as the team that should consider Breland earlier than he's projected on our mock draft simulation, I think he'd be a great choice for the Patriots at number 23. Unless, of course... One of CeeDee Lamb, Ruggs, or Judy are available to give them an elite wide receiver talent. 
then New England has to consider finding a replacement for the receiving threat posed by the now-retired Rob Gronkowski. Gronk is a once-in-a-generation talent, and I'm not trying to say we're going to replace him, but it does make sense to find someone who can replace his strength and tenacity when it comes to fighting for the ball. In 2019, their tight ends were a non-factor, and that had to play a huge role in the drop-off in TB12's productivity. Several draft insiders, including personnel at the Patriots, are under the presumption that Breland's injury is not something we would label as injury-prone, and that he'll make a complete recovery. Jacob Breland is a tight end who not only can threaten the intermediate area like most tight ends, he also has enough long speed to be dangerous in the deep areas of the field. His length and ability to control the football away from his body give him an insane catch radius. You know, we talked about his tenacity, and, and what I mean by that is he's able to concentrate through the catch, and the, the way he uses his size to fight for the ball gives him the ability to stay upright and gain the yards after the catch. He's a decent blocker, too, and with the way Oregon has employed him as an H-back makes him a good fit for Bill Belichick's offensive schemes. He may not be as athletic as Gronk was, but he can be trusted to always bring in the catch, and an NFL-level training program, particularly with the Patriots, would elevate his game to the next level. Let us not forget what we said earlier about the Patriots' wisdom in drafting for the second year. They can have a tight end who's actually day one ready, but apply their form of nurturing as Jacob matures into a breakout star in that position. With the 23rd pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the New England Patriots select Jacob Breland, tight end from the University of Oregon. Well, it's been a lot of fun doing this today. I appreciate you coming around for it and giving us a listen. And with the draft kicking off tomorrow night, you can expect the mock draft projection for our last two Oregon Ducks, Justin Herbert and Juwan Johnson. Also on Thursday, we're going to be doing a preview of the men's basketball game against Oregon State at home in the Matthew Knight Arena. This has been Locked on Ducks, your daily source for news, analysis, and updates on the Oregon Ducks. I'm Jordan Long. You can follow me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy. And you can always send comments and questions into the show with the hashtags AskLodPod. That's hashtag AskLodPod. We'll try to get them in on our Mailbag Mondays. And in the coming weeks, we will be having a lot of basketball coverage as soon as the Combine coverage wraps up. And then once March Madness is over, we're going to have the NFL Draft. And the Locked On Podcast Network is going to be providing some fun crossover episodes where I'll be talking uh, with various NFL teams about Oregon Ducks draft prospects. Until then, have a great day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow, and go Ducks!